Well, good morning again, everyone. I did hear that this was the fashion now to make sure you tuck in just on one side. So that's the new fashion, just so you know. But you know, have you ever wondered what to wear on any given day? Have you ever struggled with that question? What to wear? I dislike having to choose what to wear on most Sundays because for some there's expectations, you know, that you wear your Sunday's best and you have to look that way. For others, you know, you have the perception of, well, Jesus doesn't care what you wear on the outside. He's more concerned about the inside and is your heart right with him? And then you have people everywhere in between. I will admit Sundays were much easier with Elaine when I would come out of the room and a simple no would just help me turn back and try again. She had a much better fashion sense than I do. I think on Sundays we're conscious of what we wear, of the types of things that go through our minds. You know, I try, I try to tell the kids not to wear jeans with holes in them, to look respectable and things like that. But, you know, I've trained them too well because the response is, but dad, I have to wear these jeans on Sunday. They're my holy jeans. <laughs> so I'm kind of proud, but at the same time I say, no, turn around and, and go change your jeans. You know, if you've struggled with what to wear, you've probably looked at your closet or your dressers full of clothes and you've thought, I have nothing to wear. And what we mean by that is we're just kind of bored with our wardrobe or we don't have a specific outfit for that occasion and we can't find what to wear. Or perhaps things just don't fit as they once did as you get older. Thank you for that laughter. You know, when we have closets and dressers full of clothes, full of things to wear, do we have a grateful heart, mindset, attitude that thanks God for the provisions that we have? Or do we demand more from him? Are we unsatisfied? Today, as we continue our look in Colossians 3, we're going to be discussing what we put on that Paul tells to the early church. And I want to approach it with humility and thankfulness, understanding that what we do wear does matter, not necessarily to our own expectations or our outside appearances, but to God and to what his word says for us to wear. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 this morning. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths today, that you would convict us with your spirit um, with these qualities, and that you would help us to put these qualities on in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, so as with the prior two parts of this message, we're going to be taking notes on several uh, bigger points that's in this section, um, and then they will include the identity piece and then the different commands that Paul is giving to this early church and how to understand what he is instructing them. As he starts out in verse 12, it starts out very similar to how it starts out in verse 5 when it's talking about what to put off or what to put to death. Um, in the Greek, it's what's known as an aorist tense. Um, it's an aorist imperative. And it means that there's an initial decisive action followed by a settled attitude. Okay, so it's that action that continues that type of attitude uh, currently. So that's how we want to understand these two verbs. You also have your so then or your therefore for this exhortation that's followed with these qualities and these graces by God. But, for, but before he gets into those qualities of what to put on, he gives the identity pieces to reaffirm who he is talking to, to reaffirm who they are as people of God whose lives are hidden in Christ. They are chosen ones, elect, they are holy set apart. They are beloved. You look at these titles and they are exalted types of titles, right? Titles that would normally be referred to the people of God from the Old Testament, the Israelites. But here, they're being used for this new church in Classe, these Gentiles. First Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These titles are describing those who have come to faith in Jesus. And it's an interesting connection that Paul is making here by putting the identity pieces before the qualities. You know, he is talking about what we put on, what we do flows out of who we are. What is our identity in Christ? You know, we should, those two things should not be separated, but we do need to recognize the source. And as we talked about last week, we can be attacked by the enemy to disregard these titles because of the sin in our life, because of the earthliness that still might be hanging on, because of those times in our life where we trip and we stumble. We can think of ourselves as not worthy, not holy, or even not loved. But as a believer in Christ, you are in him. You are all of these things. God has chosen you. He calls you holy, meaning he has set you apart. He has dedicated uh, you to himself. He calls you beloved because Jesus gave his life to pay for those sins by showing that supreme act of love. Never doubt that he loves you. Never doubt that he calls you these things. Understand and firmly believe in your identity, which is hidden in Christ. Paul then gives this list of qualities for those who are in Christ, who identify with him to, to put on. You know, he says that they need to have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, there's a connection back to the book of Isaiah in 61, verses 10 and 11. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So he clothes us with these things and he asks us to wear them. Now, like last week, we're going to go through these qualities a little bit more in depth to understand each one. Compassionate hearts. This deals with the mercy that we have on another. You know, Jesus uses a form of this in Mark 3, uh, 34, just before he feeds the 5,000. He's trying to get away with his disciples to get a little bit of rest, and they come to the other shore and they meet him there. And this is what he says. When he, when he went ashore, he saw a great car, crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Luke uses the same word to describe the action of the good Samaritan as he has compassion on the, the beaten man on the road to Jericho. He also uses it in the prodigal son from the father having compassion on the son. A compassionate heart describes your inner being sinking for another, where you feel their burdens and you're compelled into action. It is like love in action. You know, compassion begins with pity, but it doesn't stay there. It, it's more than just having pity or sympathy for someone else. It prods somebody into action because you can feel sorry for, pe for people all day. You might even feel good for the, of the fact that you felt sorry for them. But compassion is deeper. Compassion and having a compassionate heart is when we are moved by the pain so deeply that you act on another's behalf. Paul is telling the early church to cultivate compassionate hearts. And it might be easier said than done for people that you might be close to, family members. But that's why we have that teaching from Jesus about the good Samaritan, who is my neighbor. How am I being compassionate to those around me? Kindness is a tender goodness. It looks to the well-being of others. Kindness is rooted in grace. The Lord shows kindness to people all throughout scriptures. Zechariah 7. The Lord gives this word to Zechariah to pass on to the people. He said, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is the word that Zechariah was to spread to the Israelites. But in the very next verses, it says that the Israelites turned a, a cold shoulder to Zechariah. They stopped up their ears so that they would not hear what he was saying. You know, sometimes our minds, our hearts, our, our heads are like concrete. Thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. But kindness is to be a benevolence, a benevolent attitude towards someone else, where you're trying to bring about or contribute to their happiness. Kindness is exercised in joy. You know, it's not something that we do in a grudging way, it's not something that we do because we're told to. 
You know, kindness has that empathy behind it, where this hospitality is about thinking of others over yourself. And I think that we all like to experience someone being kind to us. I think we enjoy that very well. I think we can recall some people in our lives that, that just exude that type of kindness. I think we have our own perceptions of what is kind. You know, and those are, are my thoughts being projected. But what God says is for us to be kind. That's God's word. So how are we treating others? Is it with kindness or is it with anger? Is it with kindness or is it with manipulation? Is it with kindness or is it with passive aggressiveness to get our own ways, to be selfish, to be prideful? God calls us to be kind. So with gentleness, we need to be kind to those around us. Humility, the next quality. We've talked about this recently and we've heard plenty of jokes about my own humbleness. But we want to remember within this topic that it is not self-depreciation. It is not cowering back. It is not being downcast or woe is me. Living in humility is where we want to understand who we are in relation to God and to others. A humble person has a perspective that can honestly pinpoint where they are in the place of the kingdom, understanding our strengths and weaknesses, understanding the roles that they play in other people's lives, where they understand that the confidence they have comes from God, and it's a confidence that is free from conceit or pride. It is the presence of God living in their lives, and there are so many examples of humility in Scripture. As I said, we just talked about this a few weeks ago in Paul's look in Philippians chapter 2, how Christ is the example of humility coming down from heaven, taking on the form of a servant. You look to Jesus washing the feet of the disciples in John chapter 13, and he says, I am the model of this. What I am doing, you need to go do as well. So about, uh, with humility, it is about having a servant's heart. Again, not as a means to check off your daily list. Okay, I was humble today. I did a, a servant's type of thing. But it's a way of life. It is walking with the Spirit. It is keeping in step with Him that is modeled by us by Christ. It's inspired by the love that He has for us, the love that went to the cross when, while we were still enemies. And remember, humility is to look to others over ourselves. Meekness. Meekness is very close to gentleness. You know, meekness is more of the inward reflection, whereas gentleness might be that outward expression uh, of, of being soft, of being cool-minded. Matthew Henry says, meekness is a calm confidence, a settled assurance, and the rest of the soul. It is the tranquil stillness of a soul that is at rest in Christ. It is the place of peace. Meekness springs from a heart of humility, radiating the fragrance of Christ. Now, a few of the scriptures I think of when I think of meek, obviously I think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus also has a teaching in Matthew 11 where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
That term gentle is the same term of meek in Colossians 3. A meek person is one with a mild temper, not easily provoked or irritated. They are giving forbearance under injury, so they are very forgiving under injury. Within this understanding, you find a lot of stillness, rest within the Lord. Rest under duress and persecution because the hope that they have is solidified in Christ. That is their starting point. That should be our perspective as we approach the hardships and trials of life. Tozer says this, he says, the meek man will attain a place of soul rest. As he walks on in meekness, he will be happy to let God defend him. The old struggle to defend himself is over. He has found peace which brings, which meekness brings. I think it's probably a not often understood virtue or quality that we have, but I think it's one that needs to be pursued a little bit more, especially in a day and age where it's always go, go, go. Times where we're always trying to get to the next thing. With a meek attitude, you're not pursuing the esteem and the fame of this world. Again, instead your heart is settled in Christ as your Savior, as your Lord and King. You don't find that the world's praise or what they claim is true or is real. Instead, we have secure, security in the Lord and our hope is at rest in Him. Next quality, patience. Wait for it. (laughs) Patience. It's one of those virtues that when you pray for it, you probably have to put it to the test. Everybody loves having their patience tried. Webster, back in the 1800s, defined patience as a calm temper which bears evils without murmuring or discontentment. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials or to forbear under severe provocation and the self-control to not act rashly through that suffering or adversity. As I read that definition this week, it just kind of caught me off guard in terms of the patience dealing with the evils. It's probably a pretty good biblical definition, but it's not how we understand patience today, is it? Patience today is usually the frustrations of life when we're inconvenienced, when we don't get our own way. You know, last week I talked about driving and how anger comes out there. You patience for so long until the seventh person cuts you off on the interstate and then you lose it a little bit. You know, you think about patience Perhaps you have prayed for something in life and God didn't respond to you right away. Do you ever have the attitude of, come on God, I'm waiting. What's taking you so long? See, there's a difference in our prayers from crying out to the Lord and understanding his will versus versus being impatient and demanding things. 
I think understanding patience and how to measure it differs for each person. You can't really put an accurate definition for a measure of patience, but there's always a line that we have. And we understand patience once someone crosses that line and we're no longer patient. I was patient up until that seventh person passed me or cut me off, but eight, nope, that, that was my limit of patience today. And it might be different tomorrow. Again, it's hard to define sometimes until we see the opposite or when we see when we're not being patient. Patience, again, is one of those things that need to be practiced through the harder times. James 5 10 and 11 says that as an example of suffering and patience brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord behold we should consider those blessed who remain steadfast who have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purposes of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful you know patience is again one of those things that we all want to have but not necessarily put it into practice and as James talks about the prophets I think of Jeremiah who, who served faithfully for 40 years, who had lamentations, who saw the people of God going away, the pain, the burden that he would have had because of that, but patiently waiting on the Lord for what the Lord had said to come to pass, to come to pass. Now after these qualities, this list kind of shifts a little bit from the one word qualities to describing some more situational types of things in verse 13, starting with to bear with one another. Now this is an admonition, an instruction to apply Christ's love to one another. It can be found in a positive connotation to where maybe you're carrying someone through a difficult time to help them carry their burdens, to lift them up as the times call for it. I think of Moses' arms being raised during the battles. I think of the paralytic whose friends bear the burden of his weight to lower him down and before Jesus. They're bearing with them. It can also have somewhat of a negative connotation to involve putting up with another person, to endure people through, their, through constant acceptance of their faults, understanding how to go through that. There's a... There's a passage in Mark 9, after Jesus is transfigured, he comes down from the mountain and he heals a boy that the disciples could not heal. And this is his statement to them in verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Is that to be taken positively or negatively? It might depend on your perspective. Is the glass half empty or half full? You know, when we think about bearing with one another, it can also mean to restrain yourself, to hold back. This could be biting your tongue or what we see in Scripture with, with God holding back, being forbearing with the punishment of sin until Christ pays for the sin on the cross. You know, so... We see in verse 13 why bearing with one another and forgiving one another are together. Forgiving one another. Something that is called on us frequently as believers in the Bible to do. This verse is very similar to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
as God, as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus teaches on forgiveness quite a bit in his ministry. The one we oftentimes go to is Matthew 6 within the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And then a little bit later in Matthew 18, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Now I believe the warning that Jesus gives here really impacts his disciples to understand the heart behind forgiveness. That it's not just words. That it's not just moments. Um, going through the motions. It's not doing it just because your parents tell you to do it. But instead, it comes from a place of understanding your own faults before a holy God. Understanding the forgiveness that you have been, that you have received. Forgiveness that you did nothing to earn. That you were completely unworthy for. And then we bestow that same level and type of forgiveness seven times 77 to those around us. We are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. We are called to bear with one another in the positive and the negative senses. Not out of frustration, not out of duty, but out of obedience because of who we are as God's chosen, holy, and beloved people. We put these things on because of who he is and what he has done for us. And that what he has done for us is a supreme display and action of love. And of course, Paul closes this little section in another letter here of how everything is to be crowned in love. You know, we just went through 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We see how it bound all of the other spiritual gifts together, how it was a still more excellent way. We, we understand how it is the first of the, the spiritual fruits, of the fruits of the Spirit as well. So when we think about love, we have to understand that love is the motivating factor behind it because if it is in our own power, it's gonna be tainted by our own selfishness, our own pride, our own manipulations. You know, you're just being nice to me because you want something. You're just being patient with me because I messed up before and, you know, I really don't want your wrath to come down upon me. You know, if we're, if we're wearing these qualities in that sense, it's gonna be tainted. But Paul is saying again here, everything is to be wrapped up in love, agape love, the love that comes from the Father, the love that we've experienced from the cross. That is how we, that's how we move in this world to where we, we can be a springboard uh, for others in terms of sharing the gospel message, being light in the middle of darkness by wearing these qualities rooted in love. You know, what we clothe ourselves with matters the garments that we wear. And I'm not talking about our Sunday best, but the everyday wardrobe of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are all qualities that need to be fostered and displayed in our life. We need to be mindful as new creations to actively be putting these things on. At the same time, how are we bearing with and forgiving others? All of it is to be rooted in love, in the love that comes from the Father. We are able to live in that love as we reflect on the love that we've received. So daily, be mindful of the salvation that you've received. As you, as you sin, as you go through those things, 
You are called to repentance. You are called to seek forgiveness because it reminds you again of the cross, of the price that was paid for that sin. So my prayer for you this week is that you're able to rest in his goodness, to see more of these qualities that are being lived out in your life, to understand that we are set apart and dedicated to him for a reason, to be able to put on these lists of qualities, to wear these garments in the world around us while at the same time connecting it to the prior passage and putting to death those things of our former self. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come before you today, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your forbearance and for your forgiveness and how you have loved us through your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Lord, help us to not be so selfish, to be so arrogant, to just hold on to this salvation for ourselves. But Lord, I pray that your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your meekness, the fruits of the Spirit, these qualities that we read about today will be evident in our lives. Again, not out of a sense of duty, but because we have reflected on the love of your Son. Lord, we praise you for the salvation that we have received. We pray for those who have yet to receive salvation. May you use us in ways that you see fit to spread your gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.